the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Why do I love FanDuel? Let me tell you. Because it's America's number one sportsbook. I like facts. I like knowing that they are number one in the space. There's also amazing odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, CBB, and so much more. It's also safe and secure and super quick payouts. You get your winnings delivered as quickly as two hours. It's amazing. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. <laughs> Martin or Marty? What what is like preferred? Marty's fine. Marty's okay. fine. Okay, I'll go Marty. It makes it sound like you know a little less formal. How are you doing today? I'm good. 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 Um, okay, so you have been playing uh, Sensei Crease for so long. What are some of the similarities between Mister Crease and yourself? Well, the similarities they come after playing the character a long time. They weren't at the beginning in Karate Kid 1 and those movies. They were all kind of one-dimensional, and those characters were white hats, black hats. But as the writers started writing for the series, the characters became more texturized and more colorful. They're writing vulnerability in there every season for me. And because you have to go a little deeper into the character, some of the dark stuff you have to go deeper in as well. Some of the dark stuff where, in a sense, the emotional outlooks of you've got to believe in his way and his way only, and there's very little room for other people's opinions and other people's contributions in life. That kind of stuff get a little stuck for me over doing two seasons in a row and being there, you know, and, and absorbing all those character traits. I think it spoiled a couple of relationships I had because it just enters your body. Sometimes you're not even aware that you're being difficult, you're being obstinate, you're being evasive in some ways. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis would take on that part of Lincoln 
and he wouldn't talk to anybody for days. And then you have Heath Ledger who kind of took it too far. And I think judging on the character, if you're playing a guy who's sweet little guy drinking coffee, and it's one thing, you know, but if you're playing a dark character, a lot of, you know, haunting elements, as John Kreese does, doesn't make him bad. It just makes him complicated. And a lot of his reactions towards life are a lot more tough than he probably would like them to be. For you to be playing John Kreese for so long, and I feel like, I mean, obviously it must have been unexpected now to be able to have this whole Cobra Kai series when you guys are doing it on YouTube, it gets picked up by Netflix. Um, to have that gap between you playing John Kreese, what was it like getting back into the character for you when you first started doing Cobra Kai? Well, I asked him to write the character less one-dimensional. I came with my list of notes and they were ahead of the game and they wanted to write the character more texturized and have vulnerability and have flashbacks and all that. So they were more prepared than I was and they knew exactly what I wanted and um, they gave it to me. He's a little more you know, vulnerable in three and more in four and we've shot season five and he's again there, you know, so it's good. You know, it's yeah. really what the actor wants to play. You know, I'm a romantic. I don't get a chance to play really soft, tender characters with a great deal of vulnerability. It's always a guy with an edge. And so here you get a chance, especially in the flashbacks. And you have Jesse, my son, who in the flashback, you think he's me because he bullies somebody. And yet he's not. I'm the one who's bullied. I'm the busboy. And that's created a lot of, you know, a lot of good uh, publicity for him. But I believe that when you get good writing, you're always saying the words of a movie or a play. You'll always say the force be with you. You'll always say play it against Sam. You'll always say from Gone with the Wind, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. You'll always say wax on, wax off, sweep the leg. You will always be saying those because where they come from constitutes good material and memorable material. And those movies are all memorable material. When you're playing the moments with the PTSD, how do you tap into that to play those moments? I can't tell you a lot about season five, but by the end of season four, you realize that he's going to jail. It's similar to what you go through when you're going to jail. There's a certain amount of depression and limitation that there's no way to get around as an actor. If you really have these scenes, psychiatrists and fellow people who have very little in common with you, you really need to absorb moments in your life when you were suffering. I was not in this service, but I have been in places that I dread. And so if I really wanted to figure out what it is, I would draw upon these negative experiences and bring them into the PSD situations because I have not experienced that, but I know what it's like to go down in the depths, you know, just working on something for years in a relationship and then it, it's gone away. So you can make those associations quite frequently. And they don't have to be the same issues, but they mean to you, they're just as catastrophic. You mentioned not being one of those actors who gets to play that more tender side. Is that something that you would like to do, is to play a character like that, that has that softer side, that romantic side? Yes, absolutely. I'm very much into the West. 
And I enjoy the old story of the old gunfighter who turns good at the end. That to me is so romantic because of how he treats the world when he realizes, you know, he's been on the wrong side for so long and he wants to make it right. And the shavings of characters who are negative, who turn good, those are the true romantic characters, I believe, because they see what's what they missed for all that period of time. And instead of having the edge, they've got a loving care about their fellow man. Now, whatever time in the movie or in the play that switches, I revere that. I love that because that's who Marty Coe is. I cry at supermarket openings, you know? <laughs> you know, I do that. And I've found that the roles that really turn me on are those that I could drop a tear where I could be romantic with a woman, you know, and I don't get a shot to do that too often. Listen, we need to get rid of that typecasting. Get Marty Cove out there. Let him play the No, we need, we need to get women that look like you to come with your <laughs> Listen, no problem. I'll do it. Marty, you recently were just a part of AEW Dynamite when they were in Nashville. You had a moment with Britt Baker, and we'll get into that in just a second. But you've talked about your love of the theater and, you know, obviously your love of acting. What was your perception of professional wrestling when you got to be backstage and see the way that those shows come together and the way that it is that element of theater and acting and, and then the athletic side of things? The first thing that comes to me is the devotion these people have. Then you go to the athleticism part of maintaining your muscles in your shoulders and your back can maintain those hits. They all look good, but they need the armor you know, to protect themselves. And I remember that's why Arnold used to have all that armor when he did Conan. He wasn't necessarily looking any better, but he really needed it for the character. He needed it for the fight scenes. He needed it for all of that. And I find that's what these wrestlers, I have a great deal of respect because they work out a lot. I did um, two movies of the week with Hulk Hogan. Oh my gosh, how was that? It was wild. And... (laughs) We were Navy SEALs. It was 1998. And he said, Marty, I'm going to take you to see this. I was sitting up in the bleachers and there were screaming 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds screaming, kill him! And I said, oh my God, where are these kids from? But to me, I think it's a massive education of what I originally thought back to when I was a kid and could watch wrestling with Haystacks Calhoun It was on Channel 11 or Channel 5 in Brooklyn. And there was a couple of these characters that were crazy. And it was a different world. But now these these characters, they're almost almost like baseball players. They really take care of their bodies. And they're concerned about going up the ladder rather than just staying on the ladder. Um, Britt Baker. Dr. Britt Baker. How was your experience working with her? How did you guys become friends? What's the relationship there? We did an autograph show months ago and my convention agent introduced us and she was she was a great chick she just latched on big cobra kai yeah and so she knew all the episodes and everything and she said to me will you do this little promo for me and then i said well what is your background and she says you know i'm a dentist and and just all this you know things you would not think of a wrestler you know it's like thinking of you as a wrestler yeah you know She said, will you do this promo for me? It would be great. Positions are juxtaposed in life and just come in and say something that's very, very um, 
endearing to me as the character John Kreese. And I said, oh, okay, it's very endearing. And, I'm, and it was soft-spoken and loving. And she got a great, enormous amount of uh, social media on it, huge. Yeah. She called me a couple of times to do another one, and I couldn't. And then this time, we were in Nashville, and uh, she wasn't wrestling, but she was buying into a wrestler that was supposed to win and didn't. I come in and I give her some advice, you know, you go in there and you finish it yourself. No mercy. You know, if it happens to be that you have to do that and the person you're sponsoring is not doing well, the person she was sponsoring lost. So she had to go into the ring and do all this. And they've all finished screaming, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai. And she walked up to me and we played it out. And she said, what should I do? And I said, what I told you to do, you go in there and finish it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So she goes in there and kicks the girl's ass, you know? Uh, So great. The wrestling world is hilarious. It's so funny. I love when there's like those cross promotions and being able to see someone like yourself be there ringside and and have that moment with Britt. Um, I, I always love that stuff. How did you get in this? I kind of fell into it. Honestly, I was broadcasting up in Toronto and my boss at the time was like, they had the broadcast rights to WWE in Canada. And they asked me to do a post show there, which then led to me getting hired by WWE. And I worked there for the last eight years. And I did a million different things there from commentary to interviews, um, you know, just all sorts of stuff that I got to do there. And then I met my husband there. So my husband is a wrestler, John Moxley with AEW. Uh, he would have been on the show that you were at as well. So yeah, I just somehow have been submerged in this wrestling world and fell in love with it. And, you know, I, I had actually had studied acting prior to getting into more of the broadcasting world. So when that combined with the professional wrestling and seeing the, the theater side and the acting side, and then also having the athletics, that was something that like really sucked me into that world and then being able to be in the production side of things and just seeing the belly of the beast and the way these shows come together and these athletes putting on these like 20, 30 minute matches, then getting a microphone and cutting these like beautiful poetic promos. It just gave me like the utmost respect for, for anybody in that line of work. Did you do any plays? So I never did theater. I actually wanted to do, I was really into comedy. So I did all the second city um, classes. I I did all the improv and and all that, but I ended up kind of getting a little bit more of an itch of getting annoyed, waiting for auditions in Toronto, waiting for the American productions to come up to Canada. So that's when I started hosting. Um, I, I realized I could just have a microphone and a camera and start doing my own hosting work. And I've, been really lucky and I've been working ever since. Um, so yeah, it kind of took me in a couple different directions, but it is one of those things that I always come back to. That is like my first love is that performance side of acting. And uh, I always love watching more of those like quirky, really character driven films. I, I really lean into those big time. So maybe we should do a movie together. You should come to Nashville. I want to get involved in a little theater. And a little theater where we could play, you know, yes. really do, do what we want to do and then cultivate it. I remember being in college and doing all kinds of one-liners about a specific subject. And then all the lines were, were written into a scenario that was related. And then we did it as a senior show. And this was in Queens, in New York. And it was brilliant. 
And it was all taken from improvisational lines. I do these cameos, you know, people Mm -hmm. send in birthday greetings and you corporate greetings. I have a ball because it's all improvisational. I've had priests talk to me on the phone and say, we're having a a fundraiser one o'clock on this Sunday. And I know that you can get a lot of people to come to the church if you implore them to come. So John Kreese implores these people to come. I get bar mitzvah greetings. John Kreese is like a monster, (laughs) you know? And he says, okay, you know, uh, I'll do it. But the bottom line is improvisation has run rampant lately because I do with my son. We have such a good time on these these corporates. They ask for strange things and you, you give them this information, but it's all improvised. It's the best. You know, that was something in, in the wrestling world that I always really loved too, because there was sort of that element. You get handed a script, but we're live. And sometimes you're like, am I going to get the script memorized before we go live in two minutes? Who knows? So it was always fun to have that moment of like, maybe I'm going to have to make something up here in this moment and see what's going to happen. Uh, and it's, it was always really fun to kind of be put in those like hot seat moments of like, are we actually going to pull this off or not? And you always can. I can't begin to tell you how many times that, oh God, can I do this? This script just came to me. But anyway, you you should stay in touch with me because we should do that kind of thing. We should. I'm actually not far from Nashville. I'm only in Cincinnati. So we can do that. We can make it happen. Okay. Before we bring on Jesse and Rachel, um, one last question to just kind of tie in this whole um, wrestling Cobra Kai situation is the fan base. You guys, of course, have that nostalgic fan base that love Karate Kid. We're so invested in that. And then bringing them along for the Cobra Kai series. How was it for you guys to have the nostalgia audience while also bringing in a new fan base? I know that's something that happens in wrestling all the time where everyone wants to talk about the Hulk Hogan's, the Rock, the Stone Cold, when we're trying to introduce all these new characters and make them big stars as well. I feel like that's always, you know, sort of an underlying conversation that happens in wrestling. Was that something that you guys were pretty aware of when you were doing Cobra Kai? The great thing about happening for Cobra Kai was is that everybody could get around the TV and watch it all years, all age groups. And we haven't had that since Ed Sullivan's show 20 years ago. So now everybody can get around and identify with the juvenile problems, the adult problems, the youngster problems, the multitude of problems that the writers write about. And they write so very well. And they introduce so many different characters. So it's it's a multifaceted show for the family. And I walk up and down Publix and here in, you know, in Tennessee, and I get stopped five times in an aisle. The first thing they say is, you know, we, we gather around the TV. We all can watch it together. There's no other show that we can watch together. How does it feel for you to be such a part of um, the fabric of pop culture? I mean, you are recognizable all over the place. How do you feel about that? I don't like the business anymore, but I really enjoy the people's appreciation of good writing. You know, there's been so much bad writing over the years with sitcoms and just bad stuff. This show is a representation of people really enjoying good writing and therefore good characters. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And 
You love some combat sports? Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. How is mullet life treating you? It's been good. I had to, I trimmed it a little bit. I just felt like it needed something to make it grow a little bit. It was, it was starting <laughs> you to, to get a little trim, get a little more full. Now it's feeling fresh, a little more life to it so I can start the flow again. How do the ladies like the mullet? People love the mullet. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves the mullet. So It's because they, they probably don't know what they're going to get from you. They're like, what's this guy going to bring to the table? Um, is he going to be like a little bit of a scumbag? Is he a little dangerous? What do I get from him? The funny thing is, is that mullets run in my family. You're a generational mullet. I mean, I have a family photo if, you, if we have time for you to look that up. I have all the time for you to look that up. I would love nothing more than to see these mullets. It shouldn't be too far down the old Facebook profile. While you're looking that up, I'll just continue to ask you questions about the mullet. Um, when you went to the hairdressers and were like, I'm ready to commit to a mullet, did they try to talk you out of it? Did they lean into it? What happened? No. Uh, so I've been going to the same same barber for a couple of years down here. He's one of the maestros, um, but he his actual shop is like 10 minutes from my house. So I've been going to him forever. And it started out as just a burst fade to grow out some in the back just a little bit, um, mostly because I have that scar back there. I get, I get tired of people asking me about it. So you don't want me to ask you about it? I don't like strangers asking me about it. But we were at a gas station one time after an NXT show in Fort Pierce, it's probably 2016 or so. And this guy behind me in line just starts touching the back of my head. Shut up. Oh, no, no. It happens constantly. Finger to scar. Yes. And so like Dax, this is the first time he's seen it happen. And he's like, hey, don't touch him <laughs> <laughs> before I could even say anything. So I'm annoyed by it, but I'm used to it at this point because it's from a burn that I got. It's like two separate scars. One is a burn from an old wood stove that we had. I got too close to it in the morning and it just branded me. How old were you when that happened? Second grade. Oh my God. That must have been brutal. It was. Like it didn't even hurt that bad. It just. Because it was so bad that it didn't hurt. Yeah. It just Ugh. branded me. It was like, it was like a, the sear. I was like, ah, what? And then I thought my brother was messing with me when he started freaking out because he, like, I was the youngest brother. And I was just sure he was making me like freak out. And then my mom seen it and freaked out. And then I freaked out because if mom was freaking out, then it was real, you know? Yeah. So the other one is actually like, it's just a line that comes out of the scar, but it's from, I got hit by like a, a wooden bat when I was a kid in a, in a fight. And I was beating up one kid and his brother hit me in the back of the head. So did you have it coming or this was like? No, it was two on one. It was like, they were our best friends growing up, but we lived right across from them. We'd always get in like childhood scuffles. Um, they were making fun of us, my brother, because he got in trouble. And I was like, shut up. And they kept doing it. So like, if you do it again, we're going to fight. And then the fight happened and his brother was getting beat up. So he was like, got to protect his brother. Kids are nuts. I remember something similar to that happened to my brother. We lived like our house backed into the woods 
And I remember my brother came like hauling ass. We must have been like, God, he was probably like, I don't know, 12 or under. And my stepbrother at the time smoked him in the back of the head with, um, it's either like a stick of a shovel or like something like that. But this kid was like nuts. This like stepbrother, which is like super questionable, smoked my brother in the head. And my brother is like not a fighter. He's like pretty tame. Like I, he is definitely like a shit disturber, but not a fighter. So I don't really know what happened there. But yeah, I remember he came home and that was when I like first learned about like what concussions were. Because my mom's like, don't let him fall asleep. We've got to keep him awake. He got hit in the head. And anyways, yeah, it's like really scary when that stuff happens, especially when you're a kid. These kids were like our, we lived next to him for a couple of years. And like I was the youngest and then his brother, there was one my age. And then there was an older brother that was my older brother's age. So like we would always hang out and play and Eventually, like, boys will be boys, as they say. And, like, we'd get, like, after a couple of weeks of getting along, there'd be a fight. And so my brother was banned from the yard, and that's why they were making fun of him. Like, I could still come over and play, but he couldn't. We didn't know this at the time, but he was hiding in the woods this whole time. So, like, he, he saw them picking on me, like, making fun of him. And, like, like I told him it was going to, like, we were going to fight. And then the fight happened. I'm fighting the younger brother, the one that's my age. The older one hits me, and then... I'm just kind of dazed and like bloody and I see my brother come out of the woods and just start like going to town on this dude. And I was like, Ray, where were you at? Like, <laughs> like I said, I didn't know he was hiding in the woods this whole time. So it was just, I mean, it was wild. And then now I just have like this crazy scar in the back of my head. So anyway, that's why I decided to grow the hair out a little bit in the back. And then it just kept becoming like a, I should grow a mullet now. And I would joke about it and I would let it get a little bit longer. And I'd be like, Nope, trim it. And finally, I was just like, let's do it. I have nothing to lose. I don't care. I like the mullet lifestyle. I think it's great. The only thing I regret now is that it's becoming popular again. I wish I had done it a year or two ago when I joked about it, but I never had the guts to do it because I really have joked about it pretty much my entire life. If you see any of my family members, if I ever find this picture. So while we're talking about pictures of hair this morning... I was texted another picture of your hair from a mutual friend that we have as you were joining the Straight Edge Society. Phil, I guess, <laughs> sent you these pictures. <laughs> he did. Yeah, because he texted me. He's like, oh, I'm listening to the Dax episode. I was like, oh, I've got cash on today. And he's like, did you know he was a member of the Straight Edge Society? I was like, excuse me, what? And he sent me those photos. It happened on a random live event. It wasn't even televised. But they reached out like, hey, how long is your hair? And I was like, uh, not that long, honestly. I just had it cut recently. Like, okay, well, would you be willing to have it shaved? And I was like, uh, yeah, when? Like tomorrow in Carolina. And I was like, yeah, sure. So like they want me to just dress up like I'm, an ex, like I'm in the crowd. They put me front row. He comes out and him and Gallows do their thing. And I jump up and down, try to get noticed. And they come over, bring me into the ring and shave my head like and Punk, obviously, again, I don't blame him because didn't remember it at all because I, I was a totally different person at that point. Like I didn't, wasn't known in wrestling at all. And I never really talk about it because I did so many damn extra spots that at some point I probably did an extra with somebody super famous that they don't remember. But Gallows remembered when I met him and he was like, I know you from somewhere. Did we shave your head? And this was like years later. I was like, yeah, great memory, dude. I'm surprised he remembers that. <laughs> I feel like his life is a blur. Great recall on him. 
Yeah. But when Deebs posted her picture the other day getting shaved, I was like, oh, man, I, for, I should tell Punk about this because I don't think he remembers and I've never brought it up to him. And finally, I just sent him the pictures. And I don't, can we cuss on this? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let loose. No fucking way. <laughs> He's like, why you never told me about this? And I was like, yeah, when the time was right, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, oh, I'm a member of the gosh. Straight Edge Society. Uh, I was a paramedic for Mark Henry when he pulled the trucks. I was a cameraman when Mark Henry hit me with a chair. I was a bag boy for Cody. No way. Yeah, for Cody and Randy. I was the bag boy for their, it was like a last man standing match on SmackDown. And it was a fantastic match. So like for me, like I love watching both those guys anyway. So getting to watch that match live, like next to them and kind of hear how they, they were putting it together before I had any sort of TV experience. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So that was like a really cool learning experience. But like I said, I did a ton of extra spots. So How was that? Because Dax and I were talking about that, about how much yours and his paths would cross as you guys were both booked as extras a ton. Did you hit a point where you were like, I guess I'm just going to be an extra? When am I going to get my big break? Like, what's going to happen here? Or did it feel like you were getting so close? So there was a point where it was frustrating, but... I'd also had a talk with Regal in like, I want to say 2011. And he had told me, he was like, I'll, I'll help you get as much experience as you can. He's like, I'll put in words for you. Like, and he got me to England. He helped get me to Japan. He helped get me to Mexico. Like, and he helped me get to all these different places. And like, he would just kind of put out the word and put me in touch with somebody and then I could do the rest of it. But like, the fact that he would do that. And he was like, whenever you think you're ready for a tryout, let us know. And he's like, otherwise, anytime we're around and you need the money or you want just to, to be the, like, get here from the experience and be seen. He's like, you got a free pass, basically. Anytime they were in the area or they needed somebody, I would drive to DC on a last minute notice. Like, just because I wanted, I wanted the experience and I wanted to get back there and kind of become involved. Well, it's such a different thing learning about the TV aspect of things. Cause when you don't know that and you're flung into it and trying to figure out where's hard camera, how do I know what the times are, learning from taking the time cues from the ref and all that, like, if you don't know, how else are you going to get that experience? I'd always wanted to be like Eddie and Dean and Regal and Fit and these guys that had been to all these different countries and they'd spent time there and they'd learned that style. And then, you know, went to WCW or WWF or whatever they chose at that time. Like I always wanted to learn all those things before I went. Like I wanted to be as good of a wrestler and know as much as I, I could and see as much on my own without having my hand held, I guess. So how did you develop the relationship with Regal? Was he sort of like the first real notable guy to take you under his wing? So I think it was more from Adam and Ed. Like, but I think Regal, like, had, he had taken a liking to me before because I was an extra. And it was before he really knew me. This before Adam knew you or Regal? I knew Adam a little bit, but we, we were just acquaintances at that point. I don't think he'd even seen me wrestle. So the first day Regal intro to all of us and told us what to expect. And the next he was like, the next day, I want you guys ringside at this time, no matter what time, like if the ring's up or not, be here, be ready to go. I remembered that. And I was like, okay, the next morning I was doing everything I could eating and all that before I got to the building so I could be ready to go change and get out there. And I got to the, the extra locker room and I'm getting changed. And the other guy's like, Oh, we're going to go eat real quick. And I was like, you have like five minutes. Like Regal's waiting out there probably now. No, no, it's the ring's not even up yet. And I was like, he said, it, it doesn't matter. They didn't care. They went and they ate. As soon as I walked out there, he was waiting. He looked at his watch and he was like, oh, at least one of you listened. And honestly, we sat there and we talked for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. The conversational Regal was like, look, he's like, I want, I want to help you get as much experience as you can. So if that's what you want to do, 
I can talk to some people. And I, I was like, please give me an email and I'll email them. Like just whatever you think will work. Um, okay. Switching gears entirely. How's your arm doing? Um, so it's, it's all right. Like it's, it's weird looking. What a crazy freak accident. When it happened, I was like, that's not my arm. That hook is not in my arm. There's not a, no way in hell. Like I'm just crazy right now because I initially thought like it, it was pinched between some metal, like, because I fell and I kind of landed awkwardly laying on it. So I thought my body weight between like the turnbuckle and like the, the ring post maybe was pinching it. And I just remember thinking, ah, fuck. If you watch it back, you have to like turn the volume up and know what you're looking for. But you can hear me yell, fuck. And then like I raised the arm up and that's when you could see the, the skin that was still like hooked to it. And then like I give it like a little tug and that's when like it, the hook yanks out and the blood sprays everywhere. And that's when I just start saying fuck really loud again. And that's when like Santana and Ortiz kind of noticed. And Dax, the poor guy is still like, his back's to it all. So he has no idea. If you see me on the apron, like I, I kneel down, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge how bad it is. I was like, that's a gaping hole in my arm. I'm going to go see Doc now. What all could you see? When I looked up, the skin was still hooked like this. So I could see up the skin of the arm. Once the hook came out, I was like, oh, like I've just ripped out a whole chunk of it. I didn't know what it was. So once I got to the back and Doc and all the guys were able to like get it cleaned out. They're like, you know, you got really lucky. And I did like all things considered, like the fact that it's here and not here, two inches more this way, whatever, that would obviously have been a, probably a real different story. That makes my stomach turn. Like it's so crazy how closely you can come to like life and death. Yeah. It's nuts. Daddy will live. I, I checked on her recently because I watched the clip from Elimination Chamber where her gear gets hung on it. Yes. And I was like, I hope that was just gear. Thank God it was just her, her gear. But like I would say now it's it's got most of the feeling back. It's just sometimes it like the grip strength is still weird. So I don't do like heavy deadlifts. I'm going anyway because I got a crappy old man back. But if I hit it just right or if something happens, I get like a, like the warm tingly feeling. Like there's like ants crawling on it. Or like kind of like when your arm goes to sleep or just like a lightning bolt down the tips of the finger. But it, that's pretty rare at this point now. Like it's just not going to, I would say like, another couple of months, a year or something like that. The, all the nerves not fire back up, but it's just going to take a while. What was like the diagnosis? Just like a wound, like did it, and like obviously some nerve damage. Yeah. We did like the internal and external sutras and all that just to make sure that, but like there was nothing major, no ligaments or anything, I guess just a couple of some, some of the nerves and stuff like that. Did you go back to look at the hook to see what was left on it? Somebody sent a picture and there's like, you can see like the red tip on the hook and it's just, that's from the blood. Like, I've, I've gotten all kinds of like pretty crazy, like different views of people have sent me or tagged me in. I, there, I had a bunch of friends like ringside for it. My mom was there because it was in Charlotte. Oh no. Did she freak? Oh yeah. Like they all were freaking out. Like my childhood best friend Jay was there and he hadn't been to a wrestling show probably 20 years his text from it were really funny. He's like, bro, I saw the hook in your arm. I saw, I saw the skin stuck on it, but I just get the weird injuries. I get the, the jaw wires and the, the hooks in the arm. I can't just pull a ligament or something or sprain an ankle. When your jaw was wired shut, that was from the GTS, right? Yeah. Not from punk. He knows better. <laughs> he knows better. Um, 
from Kenta, obviously he gave you the, uh, the, the go to sleep. But, um, when your jaw was wired, do they give you things to cut it in case you freak out? Yeah. Did you freak out at all? So when they told me that I did, like, cause they waited till I woke up from the surgery. So I'm like, I'm super drowsy. I remember like waking up and I'm like, okay, I'm wired shut. I have terrible sinuses too. So like, I'm like a bulldog. I can't breathe through my nose great. So I was like waking up, trying to breathe through my nose. That's my nightmare. I'm like, literally, I feel like I need to take a Xanax to have this conversation. I'm still groggy at this point too. And like, they're giving me like, here's some medicine for the next week or so. Here's this, here's some wire cutters in case you vomit. So you don't choke to death. And I was like, why would you tell me that right now? That's when I had like a bit of an anxiety attack for sure. Like I had to go to another room and lay down for a little bit and get drugged up. Holy shit. (laughs) Because they told me that when I wake up and I'm like, yeah, please don't tell me those things. I'm not have this wire shut for two months. My heart is in my throat right now. Imagining what that would be like. I wouldn't wish wire like the broken jaw, like the wire on anybody because go a full day without licking your lips. Go one day without sticking your tongue out of your mouth. And then imagine doing that for eight weeks. That's nuts. Yeah. Like I I didn't even think of that. I just thought of like the claustrophobia aspect of it, but yeah, not being able to like, oh my gosh. And then like the day they came off the jaw, like is kind of locked jaw. It's like, it takes like a week or so to get full range of motion back. It's like, I can barely lick my lips, but I remember doing this. (laughs) Oh my God. I went straight to BurgerFi. I bought the smallest burger they had and I pressed it down like a pancake and I just nibbled it. What do you have? Do you just have to have smoothies and stuff all the time, that entire time? How much weight do you lose from that? Once I figured out like things I could blend up that had more carbs in it or like could nourish me a little bit more, like it wasn't bad. But the first 10 days, I lost like 15 pounds. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So like I would blend pizza. Like I found a cook, not a cookbook, but like a blend book of like I Googled things I could blend and there was a, a blog basically. Blended pizza? Yeah. Like, so there was a, a blog of this lady that had broken her jaw. And she like, these are things that I found that worked for me that I could blend up and they would taste okay without like making you vomit. Even soups, like soups that I have to like, I would order like a hundred dollars worth of soups from O'Charlie's and like, I would keep it in the refrigerator and I would just, you have to blend it up, put more water into it because there's, it's too chunky. So you have to blend it all the way up. I had to go buy a magic bullet or whatever. One of those things that like, Blend it so fine that there's nothing left of it. So it doesn't get caught in my wires. Cause I always had like the Ace Ventura teeth with like, <laughs> just, is there something in my teeth? Always. Oh, it was, it was terrible. Oh my, you do get the freak accidents. That's crazy. And the GTS, it was the very last thing of the match anyway. Like I wasn't, I was coming in that uh, Kinshasa, Kinshasa to, to Dax and that was it, you know? So it was, no matter what, it was going to be the last thing that happened to me. And it just so happened to be the thing that put me in wires for two months. So Kenta better sent you some nice presents. He did. He felt so bad about it. Like I had the video somewhere. I still might have it. But as soon as like it happens, like you can see I'm out on my feet, like I'm like Frankenstein and then I fall to my ass. And like that's as I'm falling, I'm kind of coming back to like I grab my mouth and I roll the apron and he comes around the other side and he grabs me, he hugs me. And pulls me to the floor and he's saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, he felt so bad. Later in the video, you can see, like, he goes back in the ring to celebrate. And I pull myself up. I'm leaning on the apron. And I just go. And I start spitting out my back, too. <laughs> and you can see on the video, the ref picks it up. And he goes, that's your tooth. And I said, I know. I'm, I'm very aware of oh it. Oh, my gosh. 
Wow. So like I saw the, the trainer in the lobby and say, how's the jaw feel? And I was like, oh, you know, it, it feels okay. And he's like, open up for me. And I was like, ah. and he was like, yeah, we're going to the emergency room. Holy. Knock on wood. Like I, I've been lucky otherwise. Like I haven't really had anything that's put me on the shelf for eight months, nine months, a year. So luckily I can keep that up. You mentioned your mom being ringside for the uh, for the arm situation. What's your mom like? What's like your family like? I want to get into the deep throes of the family. Tell me about mama. So my mom's the sweetest, like especially now, like in her her older years, like she's always been pretty laid back for us. But like my family life, I don't. It's so all over the place. I don't know if I could even paint the picture of it. So my dad had me when when he was 45 so he was already very up there at that point my mom was 33 my dad had 13 children spread that seed (laughs) so four of them were adopted the rest of us like i had two that were like same mom same dad the rest were half but there were 13 of us and i was the youngest of all of them i got all the hand-me-downs someone sent me a picture the other day of me wearing the biggest sweater i've ever seen in my life like it engulfed me because I'm also way shorter than my brothers for whatever reason. Like my two full brothers, they're like six, one and six, two. And then I'm hanging out down here. So <laughs> they don't even use their height, whatever. <laughs> no resentment. Yeah. For the most part, like by the time I was 13, they had all moved out. Like either my parents split up pretty young for me. My middle brother, Ray went to live with my dad. Michael was at that point old enough to go live on his own. So it was just kind of me. Um, so it was you, you, it was you and your mom. Your one brother went to your dad's and your other brother had already moved out. Yes. That must have been hard separating from your siblings. I was always kind of different from my family. Like I was the youngest. So I don't know if it's just because I kind of got to watch everybody else make their mistakes. And I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Shouldn't do that. Like they would tell me I was adopted. And I'd be like, I, I hope so. Like kind of joking around. <laughs> yeah. Like Larry yeah. David thing where he, he gets super excited thinking he's adopted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that maybe, maybe there was a chance, but yeah. So I won't go too deep into it because it could take days, but like we didn't have any money. And my dad was an alcoholic for like the early years of my life. He got clean for the most part, like later him and my mom split up and she got with the, He's not my stepdad anymore, thank God. But he was just a gigantic alcoholic piece of shit. My parents weren't perfect by any means, but like I, I enjoyed my childhood for the most part. Like I wouldn't change any of it. Like we were poor. Like I don't remember a lot of it because we were young. But by the time we, I was five, we had moved like nine times because we just couldn't afford places and we just kept bouncing around. There was a point like where my dad had custody of us and we lived with my dad when from like a year or two, but he didn't have a real house. It's so like we didn't know like. But we, he had like this garage that he was mechanic at the time. So he had a garage and we would just sleep at the garage. And like, we would just sleep in cars that he had, like he, he was working on. And like, we would fight over who could sleep on the roller thing that rolled under the car. It's like, <laughs> the dolly. Yeah. But like, we were basically like wildlife. Yeah. But great. Like we didn't really have, we could go. I, I remember being like six years old out on my own, riding around the town on my bike. Neither of my parents knew and no, like I would go back home and nobody even noticed like kind of thing. Like not like they were absentee, but like they were just, they trusted us for the most part. It was a different time too. It definitely it was, was a different time where like you could get away with stuff like that a little more. I feel like this day and age, there's no way that would fly, but depending on like what the town is that you're growing up in, what that situation is like, it was a different time then. 
the population of my town was less than 800. It's like, it was a small town, small town. Like everybody knew everybody. It was, and it was a very poor town. So like my brothers would put me down in the wishing well so I could take all people, all the people's money. Oh my God. They would lower me down in there. Like there's, it's still there in the middle of the town. Like, but they would lower me down in there. And I would pocket some change, lift me back out while they kept watch. We had our food stamps too. Like, so we'd take our little food stamps over and buy candy. <laughs> Childhoods are fucking crazy, man. Like everyone goes through so much shit that you would have no idea. But like, here you are this like functioning adult man. That's like, you're fine. I'm kind of a functioning adult now, but at the time I was kind of like an angry kid. So like I dropped out of school, probably 11th, it was 11th grade. Like could have graduated if I had just stuck with it. Cause I, I did well in school, but I, I got in too much trouble. And there was like one really bad instance where my mom was like, I'm not letting you go back to school. I'm, I'm, she's like, I literally won't sign for you to go back. What happened? Do you want to talk about it or no? I won't go into great detail, but there was just a kid that uh, was kind of bullying me. Like, and he apologized years later. Like, and I could have handled the situation way better too. But like, he said something that made fun of me. And then like, he made a comment about my girlfriend at the time. I told him, I was like, hey, one of you now, he said, one more thing, I'm going to knock you out. He said, one more thing. And I took my backpack straps off and I stood up and the teacher kind of got in between us. And I just kind of just armed out of the way and cold cocked him. <laughs> Oh, shit. He was going to press charges, or his parents were, the school was, and the teacher was. But the teacher kind of instigated it, and the kid that I punched, more power to him. He said, yeah, the teacher was kind of egging it on. I said some stuff, he told me, and I don't want to press charges. When he didn't press charges, and he told the principal what happened, like she got reprimanded. But it was a pretty big ordeal, and for a little while there, it looked like I was going to get triple sued, you know? So, so... My mom was like, yeah, it's not happening, not going back. And so I, I ended up getting a job like at 17 and just kind of rented a room from some friends. And that was it. Like, you know, I got my GED. I, I did my, my two years at a um, community college and I started working on my bachelor's, which I just kind of work on sporadically now because I'm not, I'm not in a big hurry to get it done. How much was wrestling like a thing that you really relied on during all of that stuff to, to just sort of distract? Without being cheesy, it was everything. Yeah. I mean, watching, you know, looking at guys like, I mean, I know you're obviously a big Bret Hart fan, but like, what was the stuff that, sorry, I'm not trying to make you emotional. <laughs> we actually joked about this before you came on. You're like, Don't make me cry. It was not my intention. I, I feel like I'm getting emotional now. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week. Enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there and jump in the comment section, you know, jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.